Hello! Welcome to episode 10 of Tech Swamp. Of course, we have our hosts and your friendly neighborhood membership team here today. Hey, Caitlin. Hey, what's up? Hey. And we have Gary. What's up? Hey, good to be here. Hey. Uh, and of course, this is Alex. Um, so today we're sitting down with our senior director for public policy and very good friend of the podcast, Graham Default, and our public policy coordinator, Madeline Zick, to talk all things midterms and what that means for the 116th Congress. Uh, in honor of Cybersecurity Awareness Month, we'll be chatting cyber hygiene with ACT member Mike Meikle. But first, we're going to hit tech history and run through some DC tech headlines. October 17th, 1990, IMDb launched. Colin Needham launched rec.arts.movies movie database, now known as Internet Movie Database, a.k.a. IMDb. What first started as a passion project turned into a full-time job by 1996. IMDb is 28th this month, which means it even predates the first web browsers and search engines. Google, as we know it, launched in 1998. IMDb, IMDb is now one of the most visited websites, boasting 250 million monthly visitors, many of whom are me. Um, and that's all for tech history. That sound means it's time for What's Brewing in DC. Caitlin and Gary, what are some of the top tech headlines? Well, everything and everyone is all midterms right now in D.C., which means Congress is in a, quote, state work session, a.k.a. campaigning for the better part of October through Election Day. So D.C. is pretty quiet, but here are a few things that are going on. So first up, the Privacy Shield is up for annual review. For anyone wondering what that is, the Privacy Shield is an agreement between the European Union and the United States governments that protects personal data transferred from the EU to the U.S. It brings legal clarity for businesses relying on the transmission of personal data across the Atlantic. Anyways, senior (laughs) officials from the EU and the U.S. began their first round of talks last week in Brussels, Belgium, for the second annual review of the EU-U.S. Privacy Shield framework. Several major tech companies are calling for a retraction of a story that broke earlier this month due to misinformation. Executives from Apple, Amazon, and Supermicro, a server manufacturer, are calling on Bloomberg Business to retract the story that claimed that Chinese government has been able to compromise their servers for at least 30 companies. Last week, Apple's Tim Cook sat down with BuzzFeed News to address the alleged hack, saying flat out, quote, it did not happen. And speaking of retractions, Twitter may be retracting your tweets, but only if they violate the terms of service. This is part of a larger effort to clean up the platform from harassment and certain types of hate speech while also being more transparent with users. So if a tweet has been reported due to harassment and it violates Twitter's terms of service, a notice will be displayed saying that the tweet has been removed due to violating Twitter's rules. In other Twitter news, nearly 10 million tweets were released last week to represent the full scope of foreign influence operations on the platform. This includes nearly a decade of Russia's constant efforts to disparage Hillary Clinton. You can find that data dump in its entirety in our show notes. And after some back and forth, the United States will impose penalties on Saudi Arabia for the death of journalist Jamal Khashoggi. And you might be wondering what this has to do with tech news. Well, Saudi Arabia has funneled billions of dollars into SoftBank, a Japanese technology conglomerate, but more recently has funneled $100 billion into an investment fund for U.S. tech startups. SoftBank has not made any comments at this time, but representatives from SoftBank will not be attending the future investment initiative in Saudi Arabia this week. And before we sign off what's brewing, here are some things to keep an eye out for. 
The Supreme Court is hearing arguments for the case Apple v. Pepper on November 26th. Quick refresh. Apple v. Pepper could have serious implications for curated platforms, like Apple's App Store and the small businesses who use them. For more information on Apple v. Pepper, head to the show notes. And make sure to keep your eyes peeled for Amazon's announcement of HQ2. Now, we don't know for sure when they'll announce, but rumors are swirling that it... <laughs> but rumors are swirling that it will be in Crystal City, Virginia. Experts are saying that the Northern Virginia city has the infrastructure and checks off most of Amazon's checklist for HQ2. And that's all for what's brewing in DC. So today we're sitting down with Senior Director for Public Policy and Podcast BFF, Graham Default, and Public Policy Coordinator Madeline Zick to talk through the upcoming midterms. Hey guys. Hi, BFFs. Hi. Hello. <laughs> Madeline, welcome to the podcast. It is your first go on TechSwamp. First run. First run. Welcome. Great to be here. Um, it's great that you're here, Madeline, because the elections are coming up. November 6th. Everyone, please go vote. Um, and here at the App Association, obviously, knowing what will happen... Um, or at least being able to track what will happen is very important to mm-hmm. us and the work that we do. And you have really spearheaded this effort, and you have this mastermind, beautiful mind, spreadsheet thing that we want to know all about. So, Madeline, tell us how you have been tracking the election. Yeah, so I've been looking at 153 different races. And so, so far we know that 45 of those races, we're definitely going to be seeing a new member of Congress. So 44 of which are going to be a new um, representative, one of which will be a senator from Utah. How many different publications? Um, I have four. So there's Real Clear Politics, Cook Political Report, Inside Elections, and Sabato's Crystal Ball. And you've combined all of them. <laughs> yeah. And I have, uh, into I've one combined, master spreadsheet. Yes. Combined like, those predictions into one spreadsheet um, to kind of get a feel of where like where everything like everything's going to go and like on that I have information on like who who's running in each race so each candidate a little bit about themselves and then we actually had Gary go in and add our relevant member companies for each one of these districts so when these new members are elected and when they come into town that like second second or third week of November um we can walk up to them and say hi like well, like, welcome to D.C., but also we, we <laughs> know... Welcome to the swamp. Welcome to the swamp. We, we, know th- we know some things about you, but more importantly, <laughs> we know um, we have a member company in your district, and we care about, like, these specific issues. And so does the member in your and district. So does, yeah. And this is somebody who is hiring in your district, mm-hmm. which is important. We like job creation. That. Job mm-hmm. creation. It's a big one. So you uh, said that there are 45 mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. How many, if if every incumbent loses, if every there's a new member in every district, how many new members total could there be if the world was crazy? And if you look at the whole House of Representatives is up, is up for re-election, so you could see um, 400, yeah, 435. Um, if, that's that's wild. That's how so many are on that spreadsheet? So between the representatives <laughs> and the senators, we're tracking 153. Um, we definitely, we know 45 are going to happen for sure, and we're prepared for between 70 and 75. Okay. And can I ask, um, so the 45 that are going to happen for sure, is that like a combination of people retiring? Yes. Like yeah, why, it's a combination of people sure? retiring or any the things other things that were happening Got it. earlier this year. Got um, it. Yeah. So they're essentially open seats at mm-hmm. this point. Okay. And then the big, the big 
retirement resignation as Speaker of the House Paul Ryan. Mm-hmm. So no matter what, we're going to see a new Speaker of the House. Yes. Yeah. April April 11th, um, 2018 was a significant day in my life because that is when Paul Ryan stepped in. That's a day. Um, it was a day. <laughs> so Graham, ostensibly with this election, things will change in some way. Yeah. Probably. Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, we, we have been working with a lot of the members of Congress that we're going to see leaving. And so it's it's going to be tough to see uh, folks leaving Congress that know us well, that know the members, member companies of ours that are in their districts well, and that know our priorities. Um, so that's going to be that's going to be a, a bit of a loss. But it's also great because we're going to see new members and have an opportunity to start a new dialogue with members of Congress that are more of a blank slate uh, potentially. They're they're coming with an agenda. They they got they they will have been elected for, um, you know, for policy reasons mm-hmm. in part, and uh, so they'll want to get certain things done. But I think w- it's an opportunity for us to educate them on the fact that we have uh, software developers in their district, that we have um, uh, small tech companies in their district, and and I think that's going to be eye opening because. Uh, there are probably going to be a lot of members of Congress that come to D.C. thinking that tech companies really are just in Silicon Valley. Tech companies really are just in New York or Austin. Um, and that's just not true. So. Yeah, the app economy is strong across the country, yeah. not just on the coast and not just sort of in key cities. Yeah, and um, it's growing. So yeah. I think people are going to be happy to hear that and happy to, to, to know that, that uh, you know, um, all the tech company issues are going to be close to them and they, they matter. They're, they're in their backyard. Yeah. That's awesome. And so, um, you know, Madeline, you mentioned 45 people. A lot of those are retirements. Mm-hmm. What does that really mean for the makeup of the Congress, really? I mean, and is that going to change their willingness or interest in technology, you think? Well, I think uh, a lot of the members uh, on the House side and the one senator who are retiring kind of skew older. And so the newer uh, makeup of the House and Senate is going to be a little younger, um, the House in particular. So um, folks that are you know, younger coming into Congress probably have more of a relationship with technology. That's maybe a broad generalization, but... Um, <laughs> like maybe they at least all have smartphones. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, I mean, it's a good bet, right? You know, I mean, it wasn't but technically, always a good bet. <laughs> I don't know anything more secure than a flip phone. <laughs> you can't be tracked down with a strip. Right. You know, <laughs> a flip phone does mean you're running somebody from somebody. Else. I, mean, I do miss my razor every yeah. day. I do too. I broke I probably five phone. of them though. I never broke one. <laughs> That's amazing. Mine lasted for so long. They're so delicate. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but it's they're awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, with the changes, you know, we mentioned Paul Ryan um, has said he's not going to run again for Speaker of the House. So. Um, Changes in leadership, what does that mean for us? Well, it's, uh, again, it's an opportunity to kind of get in on the ground floor, and there's going to be a lot of staff to- turnover. There's mm-hmm. going to be a lot of new faces in leadership. Um, the The majority leaders, staffer who handles health care is going to be a different person um, next year. That, so, And we've been working with that person on not just the opioids legislation, but also other small rifle shot telehealth and remote patient monitoring bills. Mm-hmm. Um, so it'll, it'll be a little bit of starting over, but it'll also be um, potentially a good thing. So um, that's great. Yeah. November yeah. 6th, that's the election. Um, go vote. Go Everyone, vote. Please or, vote. Um, or else Philadelphia Flyers 
Gritty. mascot, Gritty, will come and uh, do physical harm He'll to you. Find He'll you. find you at your house. There will be like orange hairs just like <laughs> scattered. It'll be me and Gritty. We're <laughs> <laughs> <Or> coming. <laughs> Um, and with that, Graham and Madeline, thank you guys so much for joining us today on Tech Song. Thank you. Um, and uh, now off to Caitlin and Mike for Member Minutes. This month for Member Minutes, we have friend of the podcast and cybersecurity expert and member, Mike Meikle. Hey, Mike. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Caitlin. It's great to be back. We're so happy to have you back. Um, so October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. For member minutes, we are doing a cybersecurity Q&A, kind of like a cyber hygiene check-in with Mike. So first of all, I want to address a very critical and important topic. Is it cybersecurity two words or is it cybersecurity one word? Where do you fall in this debate? Uh, Cybersecurity one word, even though Microsoft Word will try to correct you every time. uh, It is definitely one word. it's just a, it's a, like I said, Microsoft Word may balk at it, but if you look at, you know, if you Google cybersecurity one word, you get plenty of hits and it's usually associated with the discipline. I, I agree. I'm, I'm happy that we can see eye to eye on, on that very important aspect of cybersecurity. It is important. It is very important. So let's, let's get into it. What is the number one thing that you think the average user of the internet can do to be more cyber secure and practice better cyber hygiene? I think the biggest thing that a user can do to be more secure is be cautious about what you click on. Uh, If you receive a suspicious email, please don't click on the links that are in the email. Don't open the document. If you're on a website and you, you're kind of unsure about its provenance, please don't click on the links on the website or, or click on, on the, any of the advertisements. It's just kind of having that general awareness of where you are. It's sort of like you're in a kind of in a neighborhood you're not sure of and someone comes up to you and says, hey, can I have your wallet? <laughs> are, you, are you just going to go, yeah, sure, buddy, and then give them your wallet? You're going to go, no. Once again, you have to have sort of that real life cautiousness that uh, within your own cyber life online. You do not want to kind of be trusting of everything you see. So be very cautious about what you click on. And you mentioned email, like these, these phishing attacks, these malicious links that are sent can appear to be sent from your contacts, correct? Oh, that's very true. And what you want to make sure that when you look at an email, especially if it's somebody you don't know and it has an attachment, you're not going to receive, nine times out of ten, you're not going to receive anything important from an institution that you should be concerned about through email. And if you do have a question, always call them up on the phone. I mean, I know some, some folks are, have difficulty with the phone, but I mean, you really <laughs> need to use the phone and call them up. Is this legit? Just ask right. them that question. Another thing is, if you take a look, you can always look at the email address that it's coming from. Mm-hmm. And if it's like a 32 character email address that's, that looks like a word salad, <laughs> chances are it's not from anybody you want to uh, associate with in regards to, you know, it's probably a compromised address, especially if it's from a domain that doesn't match. Like if Nations Bank or somebody is sending you, or SunTrust is sending you something about your account that you're supposed to click on, and it's coming from, you know, say a russian domain chances are it's uh 
more likely than not a phishing email. So other than phishing, which, you know, we, we just talked about being the number one thing people can do is just don't click any suspicious, malicious links. Um, earlier uh, this week, we were kind of emailing back and forth about the segment, and I had happened upon a, a quiz from the Pew Research Center. And this is a quiz from, like, I think 2016. But the questions, I think, are still relevant now. Very um, relevant. So Pew polled over a thousand U.S. adults about basic cybersecurity knowledge. And there were a few of the questions. So at the end of the quiz, um, it shows you kind of where you sit and compare with other adults and shows you what their responses were. And there were two questions in particular that I I was kind of surprised at, which I, I probably shouldn't be. <laughs> But um, one of the questions was about two-factor authentication, and it basically gave you four options. Um, identify which of these is two-factor authentic authentication. 22% um, of respondents answered incorrectly, and 26% weren't sure. So for that, you know, 49% of the population, or no, 48, 48, something like that. Yeah, you're close enough. I, I do math. Um, I know it. Uh, can you talk about what two-factor authentication is and, and why people should use it? Well, two-factor authentication usually is kind of simply explained as like something you know, like a password, and then something you have, like a token. You know, it's pretty old school. Like back in the day, you'd have like a token with a constantly changing key you could type into a system to use with your password to access it. Um, these days, uh, primarily it's done through um, your cell phone. Uh, usually have like you download an application onto your cell phone and it provides a code that you use in conjunction with your password to access sensitive systems, such as you know your corporate network if you're logging on to a VPN, virtual private network, mm -hmm. from say a coffee shop or if you're internally and accessing, you know, critical information that requires additional authentication and additional security control. And that's what two-factor authentication is. It's not just, hey, I have a password that is probably easily hackable. I have, I have a two means to verify my identity. And that is, um, you see this, a very large uptake in two-factor authentication across industry verticals because it's just especially with it being so easy to use on mobile devices right so some websites that use two-factor authentication that i'm a frequent user of uh like twitter and instagram right these are things that like pretty much everyone uses i'm not i'm not a facebook user i'm not on facebook but i imagine that facebook also has a two-factor authentication yes uh, uh, and of course google does you know for gmail uh, mm -hmm. most uh, even if you're on the you know if you're into the gaming side of things some of the major gaming platforms as well have two-factor authentication anything where data of value can be stolen uh, that's a lot of times they have implemented a two-factor authentication solution right um so another question from the quiz um was about gps turning off the gps function on your smartphone prevents any tracking of your phone's location. And it was like a true or false. Only 10% of respondents answered correctly, which also blew my mind. Probably it shouldn't have, but it it's really crazy to me that only 10% of people, you know, answered correctly with this question. So 
for the people who answered incorrectly, what else can be used to track a user um, if they turn GPS off and think that they're safe? Well, I mean, even though you're turning GPS off, there's there's uh, you still have your cell phone and it tracks you by cell towers, it tracks you by application usage. And also, if you have Wi-Fi enabled mm-hmm. uh, and you don't and it authenticates automatically to various Wi-Fi access points, as you say, go into Starbucks, it's remembered you before in the past mm-hmm. or you go to the library or to any other places that, you know, almost anywhere you go today has uh, Wi-Fi enabled. Uh, and if you have it set up where it'll just grab a uh, an IP address as soon as you walk in the door, then it's you're easily trackable. Uh, every, I mean, even when you do payment through your phone, it knows exactly where you've been. Mm-hmm. So, one of the biggest issues that's come out of the whole, you know, the 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 Facebook hack and other large technology platform hacks that we've seen over the past year and a half, two years, is that they are pulling constant streams of data off of your mobile device and of course whatever computer you're using whatever laptop or or maybe old school desktop but they know where you are based on application usage even if you think you're being clever it just uh it doesn't work that way unfortunately okay so i think this conversation kind of also lends itself another common misconception when it comes to cybersecurity. Um, the whole notion of using the private browser, um, that, that that keeps everything hidden and no one knows you know, what, what you're doing on your phone or on your device if you are using the private browser, which the private browser, for all of you who are not familiar, um, is just like the little, the darker browser that might pop up on like Safari or your incognito browser on like your Google Chrome. Right. Um, so can you talk a little bit about what the private browser actually does in comparison to what people think that it does. Well, the private browser normally disables a lot of the collection of cookies and other metadata that a website will normally track to serve up advertising customized for you. It'll also turn off your know, automatic logins, etc. But it doesn't it's not shielding you from the companies that provide you that browser, they know exactly what you're doing and when you're doing it. It's just, uh, many times, it's just a way to shield you from third parties seeing exactly what you're doing. But it's a very bare minimum cover. Mm -hmm. It it looks more impressive than it is. But what's interesting is that there was a recent article out there about Google Chrome and, and how much information they collect on you via your browsing history, no matter what mode you're in. Mm -hmm. And it's quite astonishing. So if you're relying upon uh, your, you know, your incognito browser in Chrome or, or a secure browser in, in uh, Safari to kind of obfuscate your network or your internet um, habits, then you're in for a big surprise. Uh, it's being tracked. The only way you can kind of get around that is start using like an onion router like Tor, a browser mm-hmm. that, that obfuscates network traffic entirely and routes you through dozens of um, hops on the internet. So it does actually cover your tracks, but most people are not gonna take that level of uh, care in their browsing, trying to obfuscate their browser. Right, um, so one more thing that users of the, the interwebs can do, um, we spoke about earlier was updating their devices. 
That's right. Um, I feel like I I am guilty of the update later, update later, update later. Right. Um, but why should I not update later? <laughs> well, I mean, there's some folks who are more familiar with technology have kind of pushed back updating their devices because in the past, both Apple and Microsoft and Android have caused more problems than they've fixed with their updates, although they've gotten much better. Mm -hmm. However, with the way security vulnerabilities kind of metastasize across uh, technology platforms, it is uh, far more it's it's far more urgent now to to keep updating your device when one is pushed out there. Uh, it just what it does is it'll like on the Microsoft side they actually have especially if you're using, say, older Windows platform, uh, or if you're using uh, Windows 10 Home, they force you to update. They, there's mm -hmm. no way to delay it. Um, that's a big change from their previous iterations. But right now, companies are trying to manage the massive threat and attack surface that they have. So mobile devices is, is a big um, target for threat actors. So they really need uh, the companies that provide you these services, these devices, uh, are just trying to reduce the risk that their endpoints are going to be responsible for, you know, or be part of another botnet, or they're going to be open to uh, Bitcoin mining malware. So it is, and also if, as a user, you have to realize that this, as they push updates to your endpoint, it's protecting you by hopefully layering a new uh, layer of software code onto your device that will be more resistant to the latest threats that are out in the wild. Right. Well, Mike, thank you so much for joining us again on Tech Swamp to educate the masses in the honor masses. of Cybersecurity Awareness Month. <laughs> Thanks, Caitlin. <laughs> <laughs> but before we sign off here, is there some kind of cybersecurity related plug you have for us maybe a book or something certainly uh, i've recently published my uh, book navigating the medical device cyber breach jungle uh, it's sort of a 101 for medical practices about general security concepts and how to build a security program but also it focuses on medical device security and how to secure those medical devices a very critical aspect in healthcare Absolutely. And you can get all the information um, for Mike's book in our show notes. And thank you so much, Mike, for joining us. We will talk to you soon. Thank you, Caitlin. All right. The time has come for random identifier. And honestly, I've been waiting for this since last week. So um, I'm going to kick things off, even though I don't normally kick things off, because I want to talk about Post Malone. <laughs> Specifically, that about a month ago, I did not know who or what a Post Malone was. I believe my exact question to Caitlin was, what hey, Caitlin, is what is Post Malone? Um, so I'm going to paint a little picture for you, which is that one night I'm like watching late night TV, specifically Jimmy Fallon. And there is a video of him and Post Malone going to an Olive Garden, specifically the Olive Garden in Times Square, um, which I've been to and it's like kind of a nightmare. So I was surprised <laughs> that Jimmy Fallon would go there anyway. And he's there with Post Malone. And it was maybe one of the, like, most delightful segments of late night TV I have watched in a very long time. Um, and so, of course, I fell into, you know, like a YouTube wormhole, as people are known to do, yes. I think. And um, now it turns out I'm, like, a big Post Malone fan. And I had no idea until very recently. And I am so happy because as a, like, consumer of anything pop culture mm -hmm. and, like, what the teens like... 
I have known about Post Malone and I love Post Malone and I'm I'm happy that someone that I care about also cares about Post Malone. And he's like a polarizing figure. He which is. is like maybe my favorite part about him because it's kind of ridiculous. I can't wait to see what we can link to in the show notes for Post Malone. I think like every letter should be yeah. a different hyperlink because there's so much content yeah. about him. Um one of the ones that I have now read since I've become, you know, like a super late A Stan. A Stan, um, is um someone on BuzzFeed like went through and read a bunch of his tweets. And they are just, like, maybe the most delightful things I've read in, in just, like, an age and a day. And I just am going to, like, formally say this, but, like, he has some bops. Like, legit bops. They're just, like, Facts. pop bops. And I love them. And um, so thanks, Post Malone, for um, taking Jimmy Fallon to Olive Garden and um, teaching me about, you know, the post life. Um, <laughs> the post Malone life. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Caitlin. <laughs> What is your random identifier? So I really like spooky stuff. Um, and it's a good month for that. It is a spooky <laughs> month. Um, and I've been watching this show called Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. And if you haven't watched it, highly recommend because it's super scary and spooky. Um, so that for me, it would like make me not want to watch it. It's fair. It's honestly <laughs> fair. It like I saw an article before I started watching it, and it was like Haunting of Hill House has caused uh, vomiting, fainting, and anxiety in people that have been watching and it. And you were so like, yes, I was like, yeah, I watch, watch it. it. Yeah. Same. Um, Same. So I live like in an English basement, so I'm underground. And um, this has something to do with what I'm talking about. Um, so I was getting ready this morning for work and I'm using the hairdryer. Um, and because I like live in the English basement, it's like colder downstairs. And I had a little space heater running. And then I turned on a lamp, which just overdid it with the electricity oh my God. situation in my house. So the whole basement goes dark. No. And like, of course, with any like spooky thing, Haunting of Hill House, what, right before the spooky, the really spooky stuff happens, the lights go off. I'll, always. So I literally am feeling my way like out of my room and down through the basement, <laughs> like Silence of the Lambs style. Nope. And had like a mini heart attack because of this show but then like now i'm at work and i'm like wow can't wait to go home and finish haunting of hill house um i have a problem but basically <laughs> everyone watch haunting of hill house do not overdo the electricity and make your house yeah, be careful, don't accidentally <laughs> turn off all the lights in the area don't spook yourself <laughs> oh, good tip <laughs> great tip um gary tell us tell us what's going on so, uh, my random identifier is that I have been here exactly one month today. And you know this because we're recording text on again. Exactly. It was my third day. It was the first podcast. And it was like, welcome, welcome, we're happy you're here. By the way, we do podcasts. And I was like, yeah. uh-huh. Yeah. So, <laughs> but we yeah. We just like to throw people into things here. Right. You know. Well, um, happy. Happy one month. Happy one month. If you were a couple on Instagram celebrating a one month, I would be annoyed. But, like, <laughs> I'm happy that you're here celebrating your one month at yeah. end. Yeah, me too. My five-year anniversary at Act was yesterday. Yeah. Which is great. My one year was, like, yeah, uh, it was super Monday recently. or Friday. So, like, apparently we like hiring people in October. That's how membership rolls. Fun yeah. fact. Yeah. If you're looking for a job, don't come back until next year. Don't come back until next year. <laughs> Minimum September, yeah. <laughs> Okay, guys, that's it for Tech Swamp. If you heard anything on here that piqued your interest, head over to our website and make your way to the podcast section. We'll have notes on today's episode that include links to all the good stuff. 
And we want to give a shout out to Brad Goodall, who composed the podcast Awesome Music. Thank you, Brad. Also, do not forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. And of course, we love a rate and review. Five stars, please. Thanks to Graham and Madeline for joining us. And thanks to Mike Meikle for joining us for Member Minutes. Everyone say bye. Bye. Bye.